God, we're going to be all over the place today, and we're going to start with one scripture from Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. You know, today what we're going to simply do is we are going to work on our salvation doctrine. You say, oh, pastor, that's a, that's a, a growth journey topic. Uh, oh, pastor, I'm, I've moved past that salvation teaching. Uh, we're going right back there, and we're just going to be just, just digging around. And, you know, for some of us, we have the faith-filled proclamation that says, I am saved. Does somebody want to say that with me? Hallelujah. Though there's others, maybe one might even say the majority, not hopefully in the room today. But out there in the world, all around us, that the other side of that is, am I saved? Am I saved? And surprisingly, there's, there's oftentimes that question that's going through the hearts of the people that are attending the house of God, but definitely in the hearts and minds of people who are not within the family of God and or the house of God. Jesus is the goal. You can say amen. As elementary as some of it might come across to you, you still give me a great big amen from time to time. Online, you can chat it up. You can say amen. Some of you can get on your little phones, push people over from YouTube to the phones. Jesus is the goal and being with him in heaven is our destination. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Let's go home. I mean, that, that's, that's, what, that's what it's all about right there, right? Not the, not the house on a hill and the, you know, the, the peaceful life, even though, man, what a, what a wonderful life we have in Christ. I've often wondered why all people everywhere will not willingly give their life to Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself that simple question? It's like since you got saved or opened up your heart to the Lord, like myself, I started saying, man, if they only knew what I knew, nobody would keep doing what they're doing. Like that song we sing, if, if, if they only knew what I knew, wish I could remember the melody, but I can't. I would go for it. There you go, that one. And then you flip it around. How's it go on the other side? Okay, we don't need explanations. I just want you to sing. All right. You, you save the preaching for next time you preach. Nah. Next time you hear that song, listen to it because it's a preaching song. It's singing from both, it's singing from both, both sides. If they would only know what I know, our message that we now know in Christ, a message of hope and forgiveness and power and provision and eternal life. Who in their right mind does not want all of those benefits? They would only know what we know. Yet so many continue to reject and refuse or just don't understand what it looks like to give Jesus a real chance in their life. Because all he needs is an opportunity. Jesus has never failed anyone that have given him, any person that has given him an honest opportunity to come in and change their entire life. But even though it's baffling at times and we still scrape our 
itch and try to figure it out. Nonetheless, we continue to proclaim Christ, His words, His life, until the day of His return or until that day that we meet Him in the clouds of the air. So today, let's talk about salvation. We're here in the house of God, so we'll make it a goal in this house that everybody in this house can say with a faith-filled confidence that I am saved. I am saved. Right there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, and and again, we're, we're building upon many blocks that are already in our life. And for some of us, if, if you need to understand salvation and make a decision, and for some of us, if we need to send somebody a simple message on salvation, here it is today. Without agenda, simply to proclaim the salvation that we have in Christ and in Scriptures. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. We are a saved race of people. Whoever has called upon the name of Jesus. A race of people from every race of people upon planet Earth. God's salvation plan is so simple that the least among the sons of men can grasp it and its transforming power. God has laid out His salvation plan in order that the smallest of children among us can hear, believe, and be saved. I'm reminded of my my wife's testimony as I've been working on the website and reading stuff on the website make sure it's not all outdated and there I'm reading my wife's testimony on there on our about page about us page and since seven years old saved heart set upon the Lord never never having strayed from from what she felt her calling and her purpose of salvation was that's true for for many of us, who, who in the house was saved before they turned 10 years old? Raise your hand. Let's see. I just, I'm just curious. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, about 15 or so of us saved before you're 10. So salvation is this simple message that can be communicated and received to the youngest, to the least of us. The heart of God's plan of salvation centers around the office and the function of a go-between or what we like to call a mediator. One who could go between an offended God and a helpless and sinful man. Calling upon the name of Jesus bridges this gap between God and man. He becomes the go-between. He becomes the bridge that we can actually approach an offended God. A God who, who does not and will never welcome and receive sin into His family, into His kingdom. Perfect, holy God that gave us a bridge so that we would call upon His name, reminded of the Matthew 20, 30 of those blind men sitting by the road, blind physically, but, but something on the inside had already been opened up where they sat. And when they heard Jesus was passing by, they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David! calling upon the name of the Lord, calling upon Jesus to come into our life. 
So that's the first part of salvation is, is understanding that we as a people, we have to call upon His name. We have to call, whether it's, whether it's out loud, whether it's internally, there's a loud cry that goes forth from our hearts calling for Jesus to come into our lives. Number two, Jesus became man so that all who believed can be saved. This is kind of a precursor. We're walking on this journey to the road to the cross in a couple of weeks. How appropriate it is to prepare our hearts to ensure we are of the ones that can proclaim, I am saved, and now I actually know why for some of us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. In other words, you were born. Was everybody in here born at some point? We're still, is anybody still working on that? I'm talking about born again. I'm just saying born. I had three people raise their hand. That's concerning. I'm not going to do it again because I don't want to have to try to force any of you to prove to me that you were born. He himself likewise shared in the same. He was born. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, isn't that revealing right there? All who were born of flesh and blood under the bondage of Satan, there was a fear of death in their lives. I don't know about you, but I remember. Matter of fact, I was talking about that just the other day when I was young and I was, I remember this one time, I have this vivid memory of this one occasion as a child. I don't know how old I was, but I was taking a bath. Mom was present, so I was young. And I just remember in that bathtub just having the, the most terrifying fear of death. Like, I mean, I thought like I was dying like then. And I was just afraid of all I could see in that moment of time, as a little child, in that moment of time, all I could see when I pondered death is, was black on the other side, having no salvation in my life at that point in my life. All I could see on the other side of death was just black and darkness. And it terrified me from an early age in life. And that same fear of death is the fear that the devil, the bondage, that he puts on all mankind. It's the obsession with movie after movie trying to find the fountain of life. His name's Jesus. If somebody would just tell the writers and producers of Indiana Jones, they could, they could solve the mystery way early. His name is Jesus. The fountain of life has a name. Verse 16 says, For indeed, He does not give aid to the angels, but He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. There's no need for, for our Savior to have to help the angels. The fallen angels have fallen. Those who stayed loyal to the Lord are in their angelic form. But the seed of Abraham, God made in his own image. Salvation is for the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, pertaining to things pertaining to God, and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself 
has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. All that powerful passage to say that Jesus did not come to this earth in some form of invincible, marvel, superhero character. One that dies a dozen times. But he came to this earth as a man. He came and he died one time. He took upon flesh and blood and he shed that blood one time for all mankind. Therefore, now let's get in a little bit deeper. The provision of salvation is made possible through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the exaltation of Christ. You cannot have salvation just because Jesus came into this world. There's every part of this provision of salvation that had to take place so that mankind could be saved. If Jesus was to go into the grave and die and never be resurrected, there would be no salvation for mankind. Therefore, the application or we should say, the what do I do now about this provision? The application of this provision is now taking our faith that each one of us have. God has taken and placed a measure of faith in every human being for the first and explicit purpose of taking that faith in calling upon the name of Jesus. That's the first application that we are to do with the faith that God has given us. Every single person walking around on planet Earth have that opportunity and provision. God has taken and He just, boom, put it in man. But the first application is point one. Call upon the name of Jesus. Repentance. The application of this provision. We call upon His name. We put faith to work. Then we make this, this turnaround in our life. We go from walking away from God and start walking towards God. And then comes this, this God part of it, this, this justification. He, he looks at us and somehow in His bigness, in His infinity, He's able to look at us then and say, it's just as if you never were that other person anymore. Justification that then brings regeneration. Making a person new. When it says that we become new creations in Christ, what's happening theologically is that you are being regenerated. You're being made new. There's this continual regeneration process of, of continually being made new, continually being made into the image of Christ. And when this regeneration process continues to, to take place, and, and as it, it does immediately, but then the, the effects of it seem to take place over a lifetime, that's then called sanctification. Where we're being changed. We're being made holy. That's why we're like, we scratch our heads sometime and we're like, man, why am I still dealing with this? Why am I still struggling with this? Why do I still have these fights, these attitudes, these temptations? Well, well, sanctification, it's a progressive work. It's a thank you, Jesus, that, that he doesn't just say, well, you better get it all together in the next seven days. Somebody say amen. Because regeneration 
happens. You are a new creation. Regeneration is a supernatural work of God. Justification is, is solely a work of God within God. That's God's view upon us justified no longer just as if you've never sinned that's all within god how he how he looks at you but the regeneration process begins to take place in our life as we journey as we live but that sanctification process boy that's that's the part that we feel and we can see in others and and where mercy and compassion and empathy is needed can somebody say amen, amen. have it on yourself It'll be easier to have on others. Sanctification. And then comes the assurance of our salvation. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to be able to say with confidence, I am saved. I don't, I don't go to sleep at night like, like many or hopefully most of us. I, I don't go to sleep at night wondering when this, my life is all said and done and it all wraps up, man, man, I hope, I, I just hope that I make it. I just, I just hope that I get there. I hope that I get there. That's not, how, that's not how I live my life. That's not how I don't believe how God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, how the Trinity expects you to live your life. There is an assurance of salvation that comes because the Holy Spirit has been deposited in your life. You have God within you. Everywhere you go, in, and God within you is saying, I've got you. Come on, we got to get a little excited about that. Like, I've known that for 20 years, Pastor. No, it's something to get excited about. That assurance we have. You flip and fall on your nose, the assurance is there. The righteous man gets back up. How do you know somebody's saved? Because they get back up. Not that they never fall. Not that they never trip. How do you know you're saved? Because you get back up. Because the Holy Ghost is inside of you saying, all right, we're going to do that again. We're going we're gonna to try that one more time. You go ahead and get back up on your feet, and I'm going to just keep on helping you along. That's how you know that you have this assurance of salvation in your life. Number three, salvation does not come because of the great deeds Jesus accomplished in his life. I want you to think about this. This is where we, we, do, we go a little bit. We're not just going to stay all up here. Just like salvation doesn't come to you because of the great deeds that you do in your life. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Because if we had to measure up and live up to, to all the super Christians, whoever they are, whatever they are, we won't define those. If that even is a thing. I think it's only a thing in some of our, in our minds. But salvation doesn't come through the great deeds that either Jesus or us accomplish in life. Salvation came because of the great deed Jesus accomplished at death. Life, death, resurrection. During his life, his sinless life, let's reaffirm, he was demonstrating and revealing the heart of the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. His life was a revelation of God our Father. His life was a revelation of the power of the gospel. It was when he died and shed his blood, and we'll save more details for that in the days ahead. 
Don't forget about the road to the cross on that Wednesday night coming up. But it was when he died and shed his blood that he uh, met the requirement that God had required for the forgiveness of sin. At his death, that requirement was taken care of. And man, once again, which started in Genesis 3.23, God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. When man had been sent out and separated, at that point man was welcomed back in to relationship with our Heavenly Father. All religions of the world place the point of emphasis on the deeds of their founder's life. Little World Religions 101 summed up in 30 seconds. All world religions. It's all about the deeds in the sayings of their founders, their leaders' life. It's only in Christianity, in Christianity, that the emphasis is not placed upon the life, but upon the death and the resurrection of the founder. This and this alone separates us from every other seemingly good philosophical way of living and, and doing and helping others. It's all about what we do and say in life. But Christianity, completely different. The death of Christ in the New Testament alone referenced some 175 times in a New Testament that has around 8,000 verses. It's an important emphasis within the New Testament of our Bible. He had to first be rejected by man in order to be reunite man to God. Number four. Told you we're working on our doctrine today. This is meat and potatoes. Veggies. No ice cream. Salvation is found only in the name of Jesus. For there is salvation in any other. There is not salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must. Everybody say must. Which we must be saved. We cannot be saved any other way. Well, I'm part of this religion. Well, I'm part of reach community, professing the name of reach. Well, I'm a Catholic, professing the name of, I'm raised Catholic. I'm Catholic. Well, I'm Jewish. Well, I'm Mormon. I'm, well, you know the list. We can go down it. You can profess any other name of any other organization, any other religion. None of those names mean anything when we stand before the Lord. Heaven is populated with Jesus professing Christians. Though it makes for some good joke telling, the whole idea of arriving at the pearly gates and trying to Negotiate your way in with, of course, St. Peter, who's making all the decisions. <laughs> Big responsibility. I have a theory about the gates. The gates are more for keeping people out than letting people in. Because the Word of God says this. It says that 
when we shall see him, we shall be as he is. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When this life ends, before we know it, we're in the very presence of God. There's no passing pearly gates in St. Peter and coming up with another silly joke to try to work your way in. It's to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. The love of God does not save us. Oh, where are you going with this one, Pastor? Some of you know. The love of God. Does God so love the world? Absolutely. John 3, 16, our most popular scripture. For God so loved the world... What did the love of God do for you? The love of God sent his son. With God being this, this great, infinite God of love, still it was not God's love that saved us. God's love prompted him to send his son. It's the key, it's a key point when we're walking ourselves and when we're walking others through salvation because everybody wants to just focus on, well, isn't God a God of love? Yes, absolutely. He loves you. He loves me. There's nothing that you've done in your past and there's nothing that you can do in your future That'll make God love you any more or less than what He loves you right now. He loves you. He loves all of us. But that love sent His Son. So that through the name of Jesus, through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation of Jesus, God's love manifests salvation in our lives yes he loves us therefore he gave us his son there is nothing we can do to earn salvation but many things that we now want to do after we receive salvation into our lives where's the 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 dividing line between between trying to earn salvation and being a person who has salvation just flowing from their lives some people they that are still in the middle of that question or that statement, I am saved, or, or am I saved, or are still working through the thought process, of, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta do good. I gotta be good. I mean, doesn't God love me? Surely God's not gonna let people whom he loves go to hell. I've gotta, I've gotta be at church, I gotta sit there, I gotta show people that I'm good. None of this is of any value when it comes to receiving salvation. For by grace you've been saved. Everybody say, by grace I've been saved. Not of myself. The gift of God. Not of my works. So that I can't boast. Proud. If you can do anything to be saved, well, aren't you wonderful? You can't. None of us can. Hallelujah. We can't even come unto the Lord in John 6, 44, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Even that very moment for me in that jail cell when, when all of a sudden that hard heart rejecting God for 
all those what seemed to be long years at that point in my life. At that moment when all of a sudden that hard heart became soft and was now willing to receive. That was, that was a result of God's drawing me into his family. Jesus has drawn you with any sort of desire in our life as we, as we preach the gospel to others and as we tell others what we're praying and what we're believing is not how well we can say it or how, how well our points are devised and how well we have John 3.16 and Ephesians chapter 2 and, and Romans chapter 10, all these scriptures memorized. But we're saying, oh, God, draw them to yourself. Lord, would you draw them? We're praying that inside. We're not necessarily praying it out loud. You might if that's your way. But we're praying that on the inside when we're, when we're preaching and sharing and simply telling people about Jesus. Lord, draw them. Lord, draw my family. Draw my neighbor. Lord, all I can do is be a vessel just like that day when all of a sudden, after all those years, my ears and my heart were opened. Lord, open up their ears. Open up their hearts to be recipients of the gospel of Christ. Hallelujah. But there's all these things that we then want to do and want to be. We say, what does it look like? What does it sound like? Well, in Matthew 5, 12, it says, Be glad and supremely joyful. Be glad and supreme. You're like, man, that's just not really in my nature. That's just that whole glad and supreme joy thing is just not in my nature. Well, we'll give you a, we'll give you a little pass and say that it can, as long as you're supremely glad and joyful on the inside. As long as you're bubbling up on the inside with gladness and joy for that which Jesus has done, we'll give you a pass if on the inside it's bubbly and on the outside it just looks a little reserved. We're good. But you got to have the joy of the Lord in your heart, in your spirit. The joy of the Lord because the joy of God. It's not a human emotion. It's an emotion that flows from salvation. Be supremely joyful. Why? You say, Pastor, why the need for all this supreme joy business? Because your reward is in heaven. Because heaven is your reward. Because the presence of Jesus is your reward for all eternity. That should be enough to make the saved person happy. If you're dealing with depression, well, what we're, what we're going to try to walk you to and walk you to that place is that even when things happen in life and they're hard and they're, they're difficult, you still have a place of supreme joy because heaven in the presence of Jesus is your reward. It's the solution to any depression. Supreme joy found in the presence of the Lord. A person who has a deep-seated joy and assurance of one day being with Jesus. In the flesh, not in, in the Spirit. Amen. A people who see the world that we live in through a different set of lenses. What does it mean? What does it look like, sound like to be saved? Without trying to define list or anything, you were the lenses which you see everything from, everything of, were exchanged. You see everything different. It's like 
It's like the veil, not only the veil that separated us from God, but it's like the veil that separates us from being able to see into the spirit realm and be able to see just vaguely, though, in this life was pulled back. And next thing we know, it's just like all begins to look so much more clear. Clearer and clearer until the dawn of a, the noonday sun. In John 17, 11 through 19, it says, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave to me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Listen to that again. That they may have my joy fulfilled in them. The joy of Jesus in your life. That's Jesus' prayer for you. I think we all would conclude that Jesus was not, a, was not a depressed individual, was not a sad individual, but that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus had joy of God in his life, and he says, I pray that my joy would be in my people. I have given them your word. Does anybody have the word? You've got the word. You're without excuse. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Different lens. Here's the different lens. You wonder why is there's, a, there's a friction. You wonder why there's a, there's a pushback. Because you're not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. So here's where you can't just sit in a closet Listen, I don't pray that you just take them out. I mean, if we, if we could only all be Elijah. Lord, just take me. Let your fiery chariot just come today. But that you should keep them in the world from the evil one. They are not of the world. That as I am not of the world but sanctify them by your truth. Sanctification that is happening in our life because of the truth of Christ. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. Jesus speaking. That they also may be sanctified by truth. We become a people who have a desire to be in Jesus' presence, to have the joy of Jesus in our life, to live a sanctified, separated life for the glory of God. We become a people who desire to be around other people who are part of the family of God. We become a people who no longer seek companionship of those whom are not seeking the Lord, but we seek companionship both with Christ and with His people. We begin to understand that there's a difference between living and working and ministering in the world that we live in and choosing to make a companion out of the world that we live in. There's a vast difference to feeling like you got to put yourself in a closet in order to keep yourself holy than the power of the Holy Ghost and the joy of Jesus working through you so that you can live, work, and minister, and journey in life being a reflection of the light of Christ in this life. This is what it means to be a saved people. Got one funny story. I already... Years ago, 
years ago after, well, it was after Katrina, so whenever that was. 2005, so it must have been 2006, 2007. We planned a men's retreat. And it was a couple years after, and we decided all the places that we'd normally go, everything's shut down, right? Everything's, everything's just messed up. And so we decide, and I'm men's pastor, and we decide, okay, I decide. Let me just put it on me. I decide there's nothing open. Let's go to the coast. Coast is destroyed, but hey, there's this one hotel open. Can't go to this retreat center. This retreat center's not open. Nothing's open, but let's go to the coast. And so now I have to figure out how to feed all the men. And nothing's open. We're at the hotel. So I have the great idea. And I'm trying to tell myself, Jamie, don't you be religious. Just feed the guys. Find some food and feed them. So, of course, you know what was open down the street at the coast? Well, the great big old... Great big old casino at a great big old buffet. I'm like, well, I'm not religious. Guys need to eat. We're going to have all our services at the, the hotel. We'll figure out some, some delivery. But on this meal, this meal, we're going to go and we're going to eat at the buffet at the casino. <laughs> True story. True story little note to make that I don't think by that point in my salvation, which had probably been about 15 years, that I don't think I'd ever step foot in a casino. So I don't really think I knew what I was getting into. A little, little side note. But I wasn't going to be religious about this because we just needed to eat. And so there we go. We get to the casino with pastor and guest speaker all of our sanctified Holy Ghost guys. And we get to there, and you know, we're not going to be religious about this, right? We're just going to sit down and eat and get over there. And I, but I got down the moment I walked in, and I, and I walked up and started eating. And, and this, is a, this is trying to communicate multiple things. So I don't know what you're going to hear from it, but I'm just going to tell it nonetheless. We get in, we sit down, and next thing I know, I personally, and I didn't say it out loud because I'm the complete organizer of it. I'm starting to feel so uncomfortable. I'm wondering, what does this person think? Oh, what does this new believer think over here? I'm, I'm afraid to ask what pastor thinks. I'm guest speaker. I ain't even going there. But here in my own skin, I began to just twitch and become so uncomfortable. And I, it took everything in me to work my way through that night. Great meal. All the guys were together. It's not like we hit the slots after we ate or anything. I mean, we were just there eating. And it was the most uncomfortable meal in my entire life. Of course, later we joked about it and, you know, pastor decides to tell me what he, he really thought. And... <laughs> conversation that I've tried to block out of my mind ever since that was that was shared but it was jokingly shared amongst others as you know I became the end of their their jokes but I just didn't belong and I'm not even talking about the guys or whatever I personally just didn't belong my mama every every weekend of my mama's life before my mama died she's like come on Jamie when I went the few moments that we would live here come on let's go let's go eat at got a good great buffet come on I'm like mama been there done that can't do it just just already had that horrible feeling and experience can't well Jamie it's just a buffet they got great shrimp and great you know we've been separated We've been changed. We've been made different. It's not about a religious thing. It's just about if we're doing something because it's in the line of providing for our family, still can't be sinful to you personally. If we're doing something because we're, we're living in this world and we have to make transactions in, in this world, that's one thing. If we're ministering to somebody and we're there with the sole purpose to bring Christ and to bring ministry, 
sole purpose to bring Christ. It's like the, it's like the old, and I do know what time it is, everybody relax. It's like, it's like the old, that, that encounter with my buddy just years and years ago, and there I am, and, and he's, he's at the, he's saying, oh, I'm going to minister to the guy at the, at the bar, and, and I say, bro, why, why are you doing that? And this is 20 years. I say, why, why are you doing that? Oh, because, because I just want to, I just want to meet him where he, where he is. I say, okay, but you know, sounds a little strange. The next thing I see, he says, I said, he said, yeah, we were there, and he ordered me some drinks, so I just, you know, I just kept it there, and I said, why are you keeping the drinks there? He says, oh, because I just want to, I just want to identify, I just want to, I just want to make him feel comfortable, and he goes on and goes on, and finally I looked at him one time, and I said, I said, dude, I, I understand, I, I understand you, you think that you're trying to minister to this person, but I don't think that's what's really in play here. If you're there to minister to somebody, and it's, and it's a, it's a, a regular ministry platform and your, your heart is safe and there's some accountability with you, which is also big, then you can, you can perceive, but this, this particular guy, dearest, dearest friend in my life, next thing you know, you fast forward 20 plus years and, and I mean, after adultery and substance abuse and divorce and wrecked life and everything else, you're, you, you think back and you're like, bro, bro, if you could only know what I knew. I tried to tell you. I'm trying to tell us today what it means, what it looks like, what it feels. The application of the provision of salvation in the regeneration of what it means to be a new creation in Christ you've been changed you've been made new you've been saved and if you don't know that today we're going to pray and today you're going to whether you're here in this room or whether you're listening or watching online today we're going to pray together and we're going to get that that assurance journey started in your life today and that my friends, is what it means to be saved in Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.